good morning. Um, thankful you're here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 18. And we've been in this series that I'm, I'm really excited about. It's called A Thousand Generations. And, and we're basically taking, the look, taking a look at the Old Testament, in Genesis specifically. And, um, you know, everybody loves a good story. And do you realize that 40% of the Old Testament is written in the form of story? Because God understands that, and that humanity and all of us, we like a story and we connect with a story. And one of the things that I've noticed in my life as I've raised my kids and as I pastor a church, that, that sometimes we have a tendency to neglect these Old Testament stories. Um, we think we know them. Oh, yeah, I know that story. Uh, but but we, we lose the details. And, and, and God, um, God has preserved these stories to shape our lives, for us to learn from. And, and, and you know, as a pastor, every, every time I get up and preach, it's, it's, it's my prayer that, that Lord, I want to be, I want your voice to come through. I want, I want you to speak. And, and I want you to know that this morning I'm, I'm confident that we're supposed to study this. Um, we're supposed to be in this story specifically. Because in Luke chapter 17, Jesus specifically said, remember Lot's wife. Remember this story. We're, we're in a tough story today. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult part of Scripture that uh, it's uncomfortable today. Genesis 18 and 19. And we're going to dive into this whole picture if, if we can and, and make some applications that are important for us. And so, so I do want you to realize that I'm confident in, in the Lord today that, that Jesus specifically told us to remember this. So uh, I believe that we're in the middle of God's will this morning and God has something for us. Now in Genesis 18, um, we are, oh, and before I get into this, I, I want to challenge you to talk about this. Go get some of the details of this, because we're not going to hit every detail today. But, but I want to challenge you to wrestle with some of these concepts and these issues with your kids, with your family. Take some time at the table to, to talk about it. Let's talk about this. Let's apply this because we're going to share some things today that, that I'll be honest, we have to wrestle with a little bit. And I'm not just going to solve it all for you today because most of the scripture is written in a way that we got to go, let's think about that for a while. And that's where we are today. But in Genesis 18, um, Abraham, we, we talked about him last week. He is at his tent and he's, he's, he's hanging out. God had given him some promises, but, but he had not seen them fulfilled yet. If you study the story of Abraham, the journey of him, his life, his family, he had a, he had a nephew, Lot, who they had traveled together. They, they, as, they, as, their, their, as God blessed them, their crops grew and their, or their, their, their flocks grew and, and they had to split up. And Abraham said to Lot, hey, you get to pick where you want to go. And Lot looked down in the valley and said, man, these cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, those are really lush, successful places. I want to be close to there. And so Abraham moved to the mountains. Lot moved close to the cities. And, and we see that Abraham's in his tent and, and these men show up. 
And, and these men were, they, they had to have been quite a sight because they were actually uh, angels of the Lord. Now, now, most of the time when angels show up, people are terrified. They're like, whoa, whoa. And that's why they're not precious moments, okay? Like, the, the, that's neat and that's cute and everything. But that's not what an angel looks like. And these angels show up and Abraham's like, oh, man, can I take care of you? You are, you are uh, definitely someone of, of worth and value. And, and so he feeds them and, and, and they say to him, and it's interesting because they say to Abraham, hey, a year from now, you know that promise God made you, your wife's going to have a child a year from now. And so it's interesting that, that they come bringing a message to Abraham. And, um, but they're on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah because, and it says in the scripture that, that God, they wanted to see if the, the, the wickedness in these two cities was really, um, uh, just like the reports that were coming. Now, was God unaware? Did God need to send somebody just to confirm? No, God's all knowing. He knew what was going on. But this journey took place. And if you have your Bibles, turn to look at verse 18 in chapter, excuse me, chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 16. Would you stand with me and let's read this together. And um, in verse 16, they had met with Abram, Abraham, and they had talked to him, and, and, and now they're on their way. Verse 16 says, the men set out from there. And they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the, for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked." So that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall, you, you. shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, suppose 40 are found there. 
And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, and, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And he says, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, what, a, what an amazing moment. Now, now, hold with me in 18 and 19, because we're going to track through this a bit. But, but the first thing that stands out to me is, is point number one. If you have your notes, I hope you follow along with me today. But point number one is that, that God pursues broken and rebellious people. Aren't you grateful for that? You know, it's easy for us to look at a passage like Sodom and Gomorrah and go, look at those people. How terrible are those people? And we forget that we are those people, right? I mean, I mean every one of us in this room are broken and rebellious people. All of us are. We're broken. And this is just broken people living out their lives. And, and, and when I look at this, uh, this story, we make a lot of mistakes when we come to this story. Because I think a lot of us as Christians, uh, we have this sense of self-righteousness. That, that, oh, we're good. We're moral people. We've got it all together. And, and the reality is none of us do. We're, we're all, we all walked in this room today as, with brokenness and with, with struggles. And you know what's amazing is that God is faithful to take broken people and pursue us and help us put our lives together. And that's the joy of following the Lord. Now, we have a tendency to, to look at people in sin and make some mistakes or look at people in general. The first mistake I think we make, and this is worldwide, that, that we think that mankind is inherently good. And we see this all the time, that, that oh, man is good, that, that all of us are good, but the truth is we all need a Savior. And, and I pray that we don't buy into this lie that, that is being thrown at us constantly that as human beings, we are inherently good. We, none of us are good. None of us are righteous. We all need a Savior. We, we can look at other people and go, you know what, I'm better than that person. And, and, and we should never do that because we've got to realize that all of us need a Savior. And my prayer is that if, if maybe you've walked in the room today and you're like, man, uh, maybe you got word that, okay, this preacher's preaching on, Baptist preacher's preaching on Sodom and Gomorrah, it's going to be gay bashing day. But the reality is we all are broken. We all need a Savior. And I'm the biggest sinner in the room. And God has saved me and washed me. And God is in the middle of growing me. And, and mankind is not, in, is, in, is not good by ourselves. And we got to recognize this. And this is a lie that the world is throwing at us. And, and people are going to, uh, Oprah has made this popular. Uh, and, and, you know, mankind is not good. 
We need a Savior. Like Isaiah says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So let's be careful to not make that mistake. But, um, but you look at the story, and what, what you see with Lot is Lot had moved closer and closer to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he now finds himself in the midst of the city. Now, now we know that, that God has called Abraham to be the, 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 the people the, that is going to bless the world and bless the nation. And you know, that's who we are as Christians, right? God's people are called to bless the world. And to, and to be a blessing to the people in the world, lost and saved. That's who we are. That's why I believe Christians ought to be the best businessmen, the best leaders, the best uh, doctors, the best teachers, the best people in a culture, the best government leaders, the best engineers. You name it, Christians are to, are to be the best. We should be the most creative. I mean, think about it. Um, we serve the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. We ought to be the best artists. We ought to make a difference. I mean, I, mean, uh, I, I pray that, that this is something we do. I, I love how Casey, right over here, she was uh, the producer of the play uh, that just happened in Tulsa about the, uh, the Tulsa race riots and and she led that thing. And, and, and I was so proud of her as one of our church members that are, that are creative in, in bringing about change and cultural uh, difference. And that's who we are as Christians. But, but, you know, Lot made a mistake because he went into Sodom and he be, kind of became like them. And, and we got to remember as Christians, we're in the world but not of the world. And that as a Christian, we've got to understand that, that Christians are called to be the influencers, not the influenced. And see, this is something that I think that Lot made a mistake here, and, and I think that we need to learn from that, that as a follower of Christ, we're to be the influencers in our culture. And we've got to guard against being the influenced and, and this is a great lesson with Sodom and Gomorrah. Another thing that I think is interesting, you see Abraham, and I love the example of Abraham. You see the example of Lot falling into this trap, but look what Abraham does. He, he hears and discovers the Lord reveals to him that, hey, I'm going to destroy the city. I want you to notice some of the details. Um, they reveal the plan. The men go on ahead. What does Abraham do? He stays with the Lord stays with the Lord. He's like, okay, Lord, can, can I plead with you for these people? And, and he starts with 50. Did you catch that? 50. Oh, Lord, if, if there are just 50 righteous in these cities, would you spare them? You're just, God, I want to plead with you for these people. Then he says, okay, if there are 40, Lord, okay, if there are 30, okay, and then he ends up saying, okay, Lord, don't get mad at me, but, but can I just say one more time, if there are only 10 righteous, will you spare the city? And what does God do? God says, for the sake of 10, I will not, spare, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, now is, is this God being influenced by Abraham? No, it's God teaching Abraham and us the power of his grace, the fact that God pursues broken and rebellious people. And I'm grateful that God does this. And so, see, you know, what's beautiful about Abraham's example, and it's, it's a concern I have for Christians, 
Sometimes we look at a lost world and we start yelling at them, getting mad at them for acting lost. Lost people act lost, right? And, and sometimes we as Christians are some of the most just mean. We're mean. And what does Abraham do? Abraham is standing in the gap for these people. You know what convicted me? I'm like, Lord, am I this broken for, this, for the brokenness in our world? Am I pleading with you like Abraham is pleading right here for Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, we think there's wickedness in our world. It's never gotten as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. And what is Abraham doing? He's pleading with them, Lord, spare them. Lord, save them. And I want to ask us a question. Are we a church that is going to the Lord saying, God, I pray for those who, are, who, are, who are, don't realize that they're lost and they're broken and, and, and they think they're inherently good. Lord, I plead with them. And, and, or are we one of those that are standing going, we are against you. And, and I think it's an important question to ask. I mean, Abraham, he's a gapper. I made that word up this week because uh, every time I typed it on my spell check, it said red line underneath it. Gapper, does it, it's not, so I guess it's not a word. But I said, hey, you know, I'm going to make up a word this week. You know, I pray that we are a church full of gappers. Can I challenge you to be a gapper? Be one of those Christians that stand in the gap and say, Lord, I'm not just going to stand and bark at, at people that act differently than me or believe differently than me. Or that, I mean, I, I, I'm probably like a lot of you, been fascinated about those cave, those kids stuck in the cave, that their rescue's underway. I've been praying for them. And, and you know, I heard a guy that, I heard something that made me mad today. This guy was like, I, I pray that the Buddhist prayers are answered. And I'm like, if, if they get out, that's God sparing them. Not Buddha. He's dead. But, but then I stopped and said, okay, Chris, are you a gapper today? Are you one of those? Are you going to be praying for that Buddhist monk? Or are you going to be... Are you praying for those boys to see salvation, to see Jesus? Because sometimes we have a tendency to stand and go, you know, I'm against you. Versus getting on our knees and pleading with God for people to be saved and lives to be changed. So, now, now at the same time, we got to recognize this. we got to call sin what it is. We can't, we can't say that sin is okay because you see point number two, and it's, it's evident in this story, rebellion against God is always devastating. And we got to recognize that, that every time you rebel against the voice of God, every time I rebel against the voice of God, every time humanity rebels against the voice of God, it is absolutely devastating. Sin is horrible, and sin is destructive, and sin will, will wreck your life. Rebelling against God will wreck you. Following Christ, putting his words into practice will give you stability even in the midst of difficult circumstances. 
And this is just the reality of God. And, and this is, you know, just the truths that we, we understand. And we are without apology in submission to the voice of God and to the word of God. And, and without apology, we must be a people that says, God, we know that you have spoken and we will follow you. And, and see, Sodom and Gomorrah, they weren't doing that. And it was devastating. You look at what happened, and it says that, that, that these two angels came, and, and they, were, they, they, they show up. Verse chapter 19. Look at chapter 19. They, they, they show up at the city, and, and, um, and, and they were... And Lot, what is Lot doing? He's sitting at the city gate. He sees these men coming in, and... and and he says, hey, I want you to come to my house. And they go, no, 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 we're good. We'll stay in the square. We're all right. We'll just sleep out here. And, and Lot's like, ooh, don't do that, man. You don't know my neighborhood. You got to come in town. Come to my house. And, and they're like, no, no, we're good. We're good. He pleaded with them, please come. Stay with me. And, and, and so what's interesting, look at verse 4. In chapter 19, uh, they come into the Lot's house in chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 19, verse 4, and, and look at this. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. So, so it's crazy. I mean, they're, they're all rushing. They all get the word that they're here. And, and, and what do they do? They, they say in verse 5, uh, bring them out to us that we may know them. All the men of the city are saying, we want to have sex with those guys. And, and Lot went to the entrance of the door and said, no, no, come on, you don't want to do this. And, and he shut the door after him. And so he locked the guys in their house. And these, Lot is saying, I, I beg you, do not do this. I mean, this is a depraved situation. I mean, all the men of the city are coming saying, we all want to have sex with these guys. Young and old are there. Every man in the city is surrounding Lot's house. And, and, and what does Lot do? Lot says, hey, man. God, fellas, I've got two daughters that have never known a man. I'll bring them out, and you can do whatever you want with those guys, with, with, with my daughters. I read that, and I'm like, what? I got, I've got two daughters. I mean, I would fight to the death for the protection of my two daughters. If somebody came to attack my two daughters, you're, they're going to have to kill me to get them because because I grew up on the south side of Oklahoma City, and I know about how to fight a little dirty. And, and, and you know what? They're going to have to kill me. But what does Lot do? Hey, take my daughters. Now, now here's what's crazy. Is the, is the Bible says that Lot is righteous. What is that now, how can that be righteous? I struggle with that, right? Don't you? But it shows me none of us are righteous in our own power. That's why we must never forget that. That's why we must never forget the grace of God. But Lot, he, he, the city is crazy. And, and what happens is, is they, they say to, hey, Lot, now they're mad at Lot. And they, they're coming after him. Lot goes from a moment of protecting these men to now he needs to be protected. So what happens? These guys open the door. They strike all the, these men close to the door with blindness and, uh, and then pull Lot in. It's interesting. 
they, they go, Lot, hey, you don't need to protect us. We got you, bro. Um, and, and they protect him, and, and, and they strike him with blindness. Now, now, what's going on in these cities? What's happening? And, and the problems with, with Sodom and Gomorrah is not just homosexuality, not just sexual depravity. Uh, what is Sodom and Gomorrah? They had this false sense of security because they were wealthy. Now, now this will hit home for us because we have this false sense of security because of our wealth. We've got to watch that. They thought, man, we got, we got, we we've got all we need. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was 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 a place known for pleasure. They were seeking pleasure all the time. I mean, think about our culture. That, that that's who we are: pleasure, entertainment, games, all those things. They, they worship strange gods. They they had these idolatries that they were putting up before God. Lots in the middle of them. They were greedy. This was a uh, they were these were cities that were known for their greed, and and it was a plague on their lives. Sexuality was out of control for them. They had no moral standards. Now now it's interesting because. That's the world we're, that is unfolding right before our eyes. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I, I, can be whatever's, I can do whatever's right in my own eyes. If I don't want to identify as a male or female, I'm good. I can do whatever I want to do. And this is the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah. They've just gone a little further than we are now. But, but I'll tell you, we've got to recognize this warning here. Because, and let's be honest, God has created some standards for us. And, and, and let's say even standards with all kinds of life, with the way we um, act, the way we control our anger, the way we control our appetites, the, the way we, um, we put boundaries up sexually. Do you know the sexual boundaries that God has established He doesn't put these boundaries up because he has a low view of sexuality, but he put these boundaries up. Puts these boundaries up because he has a high view of sexuality. And see, Sodom and Gomorrah was out of out of control. They were doing what's right in their own eyes. And what God does is says, "Okay, I'm going to destroy them because of their destruction, because of their." Their perversion. They're, they're, they're doing it right in their own eyes. It's time to destroy them. Now, I want us to write this down and wrestle with it. It's possible for a person to be so hardened and evil that their destruction is best. Now, that's hard to, to hear, but it's a truth. It is possible for a person to be so hardened and evil that their destruction is best. We also have to see that God is not passive or indifferent about sin and rebellion. And folks, we gotta recognize that. When it comes to sin and rebellion, God is not passive. He is not indifferent. I mean, think about this. God himself entered human history lived a sinless life, and went to the cross because sin is so devastating. And every one of us need to be rescued from our own selves, our own sin. Now, now you see in Sodom and Gomorrah, God is just. And I want, you to, I want us to see today that the justness of God reveals the love of God. 
Now, these are concepts I pray you go home and wrestle with. Think about. And, and we got to remember John 10.10, 10, the thief comes but to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And see, God rescued us from our natural state. People say, I was born this way. People say, this is how I naturally am. And Jesus came to rescue us from how we naturally were born. And this is the reality of Scripture and the blessing of God. And verse 12, they say, he goes, hey, do you have anybody here? Do you have family here? We're, verse 13, we're about to destroy this place. And the Lord has sent us here to destroy it. So Lot went out. He went to his sons-in-law and he says, hey, fellas, time to get out of town. And you know what they thought? He was joking. He's like, are you kidding me? Uh, These guys are walking around blind. I ain't kidding It's time to get out of here. But point number three is this, that the divine warning that you see here, that these angels are coming, I mean, Lot is warning his sons-in-law. The divine warning reveals God's amazing grace to us. God doesn't have to warn us about our sin. He doesn't have to, to, to come and speak to us. But because God loves the world, because God pursues people, he warns us about the devastation of sin. And it is foolish for us to follow people that say, you know what, sin is not even a big deal. It's not there. It's, you, you, there's no judgment. There's no end Uh, you're not going to stand before a creator when you are. And God has spoken to us very clearly and warned us that sin will wreck your life. Rebelling against God will wreck your life. In verse 15, look at this. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Take up your wife and two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. I mean, after this, I mean, wouldn't you say, I'm out of here, bro. I see ya. But look at, verse, look at verse 16. But he lingered. Is that crazy to you? He lingered. He stayed. Oh, I mean, it was almost like he was like, man, this city is so great, and there's so many nice things, and, and, and he, he was blind to the, the devastation of the sin. He lingered. So what do the men do? The men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. They're like, Lot, come here. Get out of here, I said. Man, it makes me think how often I linger in the things I shouldn't linger in. And then what does Lot do? Verse 17 They say, go, and don't stop, don't look back, get out of here, escape to the hills. And Lot said, oh, wait, 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 can I go to this other city? Here's Lot in his, this man that's supposed to be righteous. I do this all the time. But Lord, hey, wait, can I, I don't know if I want to give it all up, and can I just go to, can I change, can I do what I want to do? And, and, And you know, God is gracious to Lot right here. Okay, go to this other city, but go there now, don't look back. Verse 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. 
And the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew these cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I always wondered what made her look back? What made her look back? I think it was a longing. Oh, I don't want to give up this world. How often do we act that way? We look at the world we live in and go, oh, this is all great. But God has called us to have our eyes set on a different world. You know, God destroyed them. Abraham went up early in the morning, verse 27, and he stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and all the smoke went up into the land like a furnace. And it was like God could not find 10 righteous people in those cities. Now, you know what Jesus said? Luke 17, turn over there real quick. Luke 17, verse 28 Why is this really important today? Likewise, Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one who is on the housetop with his goods in in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let one who is in the field not turn back. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Luke 17, 32 is a verse I pray we all memorize today. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Folks, grace is a gift that we've been given It's not earned by our own efforts. Please remember that. The only reason a man like Lot could escape Sodom and Gomorrah is because God is gracious. Running away from sin is the only wise option. You know what I fear? There's some in this room that you have your face turned towards this world. And if your face is towards this world, where is your back? Towards God. And can I tell you, the scripture has been written to show us that turning to God is the best option for life. 
And lastly, judgment is a warning that no one should ignore. Jesus said, one day in our future, two people will be working in downtown Tulsa. One will be taken, the other left. Two people will be jogging in Owasso, Oklahoma. One will be taken, the other left. And man, I want to I be one of those gappers to stand in this place where, where God has planted us and plead with people around me, I want you to know Jesus and, and pray to the Lord. Lord, open eyes and, and Lord, show your grace and, and Lord, move in us. And, 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 and I, maybe, and even today, I want to stand in the gap for you. If, if you've walked in this room and you've been stiff-arming God and saying, God, I don't want your voice. I don't need you. I want this world. Can I tell you, you will be gravely disappointed if all you have is this world. If you hold on to your sin, it will devastate you. And, and because God loves us, because God is gracious, then we've got to recognize a judgment is coming. And that's just the truth of God's word. And to ignore it is foolish. We're going to have an invitation. And I pray that nothing stops you from coming to Jesus today. I pray that, that we all turn our face to the Lord and, and, and get on our knees today and say, God, thank you for the grace you have shown me. Thank you for the forgiveness that I don't deserve. I pray we become those believers who don't stand and go, you sinners, to a lost world. But say, you know what? I've been forgiven. And you can know that too. We're called to love the world to Christ. Let's get better at that.